Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is the second Sunday in Lent, and the epistle is taken from St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Brethren, even as you have learned from us how you ought to walk and to please God, as indeed you are walking, we beseech and exhort you in the Lord Jesus to make even greater progress. For you know what precepts I have given you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from immorality, that every one of you learn how to possess his vessel, that is, his body, in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and overreach his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, as we have told you before and have testified. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and was transfigured before them. And his face shone as the sun, and his garments became white as snow. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elias, talking together with him. Then Peter addressed Jesus, saying, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us set up three tents here, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. As he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And on hearing it, the disciples fell on their faces and were exceedingly afraid. And Jesus came near and touched them and said to them, Arise, and do not be afraid. But lifting up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus cautioned them, saying, Tell the vision to no one till the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So far are the words of this day's Holy Gospel. Then Peter addressed Jesus, saying, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us set up three tents here, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. The words taken from the Gospel of today's Holy Mass in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, since I retired over 20 years ago, I set as my course to study what happened in the church, particularly how is it possible that the things we are experiencing today, the departure from the Catholic faith by leaders in the church, could even take place. And in that course, we've studied history, science, philosophy, theology, and even mysticism and their counterparts, a broad spectrum, but not the least of which was to restudy our own Catholic faith and to rearrange perhaps some of the priorities and the emphases that have been lost in the course of our lives in the setting of a democracy that is not under God, but rather under Masonic principles of liberty, equality, fraternity, without a standard to be equal with. And this, therefore, reduces us to a commonality of being equal at the lowest levels of civilization. Because we cannot all be equally rich or, or educated or with talents, but we can all be equal at the low end of it <clears throat> by, by being ignorant, by being poor, uh, by being incapable. And all these things find a commonness that is at the low spectrum of the civilization that is 
degrading gradually down to this level because God has been forgotten. The things of God have been ignored. And in the course of all of this degradation, we are caught up into this flow, you might say, of departure from God and the things of God without realizing it. So this review then to study the course of the history of our times has brought us more deeply into a study of our religion and a rearranging of our values and the emphasis that has to be placed properly on things that have been forgotten or misdirected. And one of these is the third commandment of God. We've studied the first commandment that places God first, foremost, in all things in our lives and we have to readjust above all to that one because all the Ten Commandments are contained in the first, really. And the second commandment, to keep holy his name, that represents God, not to misuse it, not to take it lightly. And the third commandment, to keep a special day holy to him. Remember, keep holy the Lord's day. We're going to study then today the third commandment, lesson 100, and 100 um, on page 202 in our books. Now the first question is, what are we commanded by the third commandment? By the third commandment, we are commanded to worship in a special manner on Sunday, the Lord's Day. He says, keep that you my <coughs> Sabbath, for it is holy unto you. He that shall profane it shall be put to death. He that shall do any work in it, his soul shall perish out of the midst of his people. Six days shalt thou do work, and the seventh day is the Sabbath, the rest holy to the Lord. This is from the book of Exodus, the commandments given to Moses. We see how severely this is punished, and therefore how important it must be to God. Now God commanded the observance of a definite day, in order that man may devote one day a week to the special worship of his creator. We owe that to God. And he commands it. We might not know this specifically from the natural law that's built in nature, uh, but he does make it clear to us that we are to keep that day holy to him. Natural law obliges us to adore and to thank God for his continuous blessings, but that special day, now we know from his clear revelation, this explicit law in the Ten Commandments. Now, if God gives us six days to work for ourselves, we ought to be glad to devote one day to him exclusively. Now, consider today, Sunday. If you go down to the mall downtown uh, in any big city, you find like, it's just like any other day. People dressed casually, shopping, uh, carrying on their amusements and whatnot and have no thought of God whatsoever as his day set aside for him. We've fallen away, and sometimes we're caught up in this, in our sports activities, in our uh, distractions, and sometimes even in sinfulness, that Sunday becomes actually opposite to what God commanded. The day enables us to join in public worship and receive religious instruction. Now, we try to give this to you. That's what our sermons are about now. And we give you an opportunity after Mass, for example, this morning to study further. The day enables us to join in public worship. During the week, we're busy, go to school, you have business work and all these things. But today, we're free. We can come together as a society, as a group, to worship God together. The rest benefits both body and soul. 
So we benefit from it as well. If we had to work always, seven days a week, year in, year out, our health would break down under the strain. And we see from history how this actually was the case for those who had no let up from work but constant application without break. In the old law, that is the Old Testament, the laws of the Jews, the celebration of a definite day, the Sabbath, had been ordered only specially for the Jews just as circumcision and bloody sacrifices had been. This was their law. The old law was abrogated. It means it was taken away. It no longer applies. Upon the institution of the new, which is the New Testament, the Catholic Church established by Christ and his apostles and successors, and we have then the refinement of that law, and uh, we have to know what it says, what it demands of us, and how we observe it. In the old law, the Jews kept holy the seventh day of the week, Saturday. It was their day of rest. The vital principle, the main idea, though, behind it was uh, not the specific day, but that one day out of seven should be devoted to the worship of God, the Creator. Now, people ask, well, why then don't we celebrate Saturday, like the Jews and the Seventh-day Adventists? Well, the question then is, why does the Church command us to keep Sunday as the Lord's Day? Here's the answer. The church commands us to keep Sunday as the Lord's Day because on Sunday Christ rose from the dead and on Sunday the Holy Ghost descended upon the apostles. In other words, the church changed it from a Saturday to a Sunday to keep it separate from Jewish practice for one thing and the church had the uh, power to make this change but it is a divine law and we keep it in that one of the seven days chosen then by the church as Sunday that we keep it holy to God. Now, do we keep it holy to God or does it only become just a little bit of for God, mostly for anything else? In the new law, Christ delegated his authority to the church, his living voice. It remained then for the church to indicate the ceremonial day to be kept holy. So this goes back to apostolic times. They changed it then, and we have observed it ever since, that Sunday is the day of rest, or the Sabbath day. The Church of the Time of the Apostles observed the first day of the week, Sunday, in honor of the Resurrection and Pentecost, which both took place on a Sunday, the first day of the week. In the same way, the early Church caused circumcision and bloody sacrifices to make way for baptism and the sacrifice of the Mass. So here is the perfection, then, of what was done as a type and projection to be fulfilled, then, in the new law that, then, Baptism took the place of circumcision and that the sacrifice of the mass took place of bloody sacrifices of animals in the temple in ancient times. In the new law, the New Testament, our time, um, Catholics keep holy the first day of the week Sunday. It is called the Lord's Day. St. Paul refers twice to its observance in the Acts of the Apostles and his letter to the Corinthians. How does the church command us to worship God on Sunday? Now here, again, it's the church that tells us how to observe keeping the Lord's Day holy, the commandment of God. How does the church command us to worship God on Sunday? The church commands us to worship God on Sunday by assisting at the holy sacrifice of the Mass, which you are doing. And there's a special reason. The obligation of Mass is binding on all persons who have attained the use of reason, that is, including children seven years old. So below that Six-year-olds don't have to attend Mass, but you bring them because you don't want to leave them behind at home unsupervised. Those who find it impossible or very difficult to hear Mass are excused. Now, we're going to see 
how far this obliges us and what uh, reasons can excuse us then from attending otherwise what would be a mortal sin to miss the holy sacrifice of the Mass on Sunday. Now the sick, the very aged and infirm, and those engaged in works of necessity at the hour of Mass are excused from attending it. Those who live too far to walk and have no conveyance are also excused. Now, theologians have to determine by setting something down definite, but again, it's always with reason guided by faith. And remember the church is a mother, and how would a mother that's reasonable demand or um, excuse her, her children in certain circumstances? There's the rule, and then there are the exceptions to the rule, but these are exceptions, not the rule. Those who live too far to walk, or say the theologians indicate a half an hour. If it takes more than a half an hour to get to church for Mass, then you're excused from attending Mass. Now, that's rather lenient today because uh, we have conveyances, but some of you live pretty far. And if it takes more than a half an hour, you are excused. But if you can do so, you may certainly do so. And many make uh, very great sacrifices to get to Mass when the fog and the weather is not good. Uh, you still make it, and God uh, appreciates and blesses you for that, but your excuse then would be sufficient to not necessarily have to come to Mass. Now, we're not saying that you don't come, but you don't have to. Very bad weather may be sufficient cause. So again, with reason guided by faith, you are the one to make the decision. Be reasonable about it. Don't be too excessive one way or another in that determination. And if it's heroic, then make the sacrifices if you're willing to do so. Now, not to hear Sunday Mass or to miss a notable part of Sunday Mass is a mortal sin, all things being equal. To deliberately miss Mass on Sunday when you could go and don't go, then it's a sin. It's a church law. It binds us. To come a little late and not make up for it in another Mass is a venial sin. Now, how much is a little late? to deliberately do it. Now, say you get caught in traffic or you can't find a parking place and you come in a few minutes late. Uh, that's an excusing cause. But if you say, well, I uh, don't want to hear the sermon, so I'll come about uh, such and such a time and make it for the offertory. That's a venial sin. It's a, a sin of disrespect for one thing, as we'll find. The precept to hear an entire Mass from the beginning to the end is what is required. It's a law that you attend the whole Mass. Now, for example, if you came to Mass on a weekday and you happen to catch just the consecration when the priest says the words of consecration to change the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ, that is the Mass. That is the action. That is the transformation that brings Christ, the victim and priest, present on the altar. And you would get the grace of attending Mass even though you didn't pre uh, attend before or after that uh, consecration. But the law of the church says on Sunday you must be here present from the beginning to and through the end of Mass. So that is from the priest's entrance into the sanctuary till his departure into the sacristy. That's the sacristy of the room here. One is considered to have missed Mass if one arrives too late to be present at the offertory when the priest uncovers the chalice. Then he says the prayers and offers the bread and then the wine. That's the offertory of the Mass, which we will study next year when we take the sacraments. But you must be here at least by then, otherwise you've missed Mass, as far as the church law is concerned, the whole Mass. Offertory, consecration, and communion. 
or leaves uh, before the communion is finished, that is, the priest's communion. The principal parts, that is, the offertory, the consecration, the communion, must be heard in one and the same Mass, so you can't break it up. Those who, on every slight pretext, excuse themselves from their obligation of hearing Mass on Sunday will gradually slip into religious carelessness and indifference. It's hard to say which comes first. They will become more and more indifferent and more careless if you excuse yourself easily. So the burden is upon you, but you must be reasonable in the exercise of that decision. If in doubt, you ask the priest, and he will tell you, if you explain yourself fully and correctly, whether you can or cannot miss a Mass. We should study, uh, we should be sturdy Christians, and not let anything but impossibility or serious illness interfere with our hearing Mass on Sunday. So again, you see, there is a little flexibility here. Necessity, uh, uh, works of charity, uh, we'll go into that in just a moment. Um, inclement weather, danger, for example, it's dangerous to drive in the fog. Again, use your common sense. Not to have a new or clean dress is not sufficient reason for staying away from Sunday Mass. Neither is an, ex an excursion, a trip, that leaves early a reason. Uh, you should go to Mass before going on the excursion. So you make arrangements with reason so that uh, you can attend Mass. True also those who work that they have time to set aside to get to Mass. Mass is not our only obligation on Sunday, for God commands us to sanctify the whole day. So we don't slip in the Mass as part of the day, uh, that we just give that much to God and the rest is ours, but the whole day belongs to God and should be lived in accordance with that spirit of keeping the Lord's day holy. We should perform other good works. Now, we may hear sermons or instruction after Mass, for example, today. We're going to have instructions. Receive the sacraments, attend Vespers or benediction. Now, Vespers were prayers said by monks in the monastery, and lay people would also get together on a Sunday afternoon as we did in the seminary. Every Sunday afternoon, we had Vespers. It takes about three-quarters of an hour to pray these prayers out loud together. Well, in certain parishes in the past, like German parishes, would have Vespers in the afternoon, and people who attended Mass in the morning would come again in the afternoon and recite and sing the prayers in the parish church. Or benediction, benediction of the Blessed Sacrament. They would come back in the afternoon or in the evening and have benediction and prayers at that uh, service. Or you can read the Bible or other spiritual books, say the Rosary, attend a Sodality or confraternity meeting, visit the Blessed Sacrament, the poor, visit the sick, and perform other works of mercy. You can go to the hospitals, you can visit sick relatives or friends, uh, attend to needs. In other words, it's a day of doing God's work. It belongs to God, so do the works of God. It is not an obligation, uh, is a, it is not an obligation to spend the entire Sunday at such works. Now, some Protestants, they go to church three times on Sunday, the morning, the afternoon, and then the evening. Uh, it's not obliged that we do this, but we should try to give as much time to them as we can for the love of God. If we do things not required for the love of our friends on earth, how much more eager shall we be to do them for our best friend of all, who is God? And indeed, he is our Father, and with that spirit of closeness to him, we do his works willingly, generously, 
and um, without counting the cost. Now getting back again to Mass. How should we hear Mass? We should hear Mass with attention and devotion to prepare ourselves accordingly. Don't just come in and then try to work it at that point, but be prepared. We should be in church a few minutes before the beginning of Mass. Many come, of course, to say the rosary. To prepare for it and not leave then before the priest leaves. We don't have that problem, I don't think, here. In big parishes where they had lots of people and parking in the lot was very congested. And so to get a first start out, people would leave before the priest uh, finishes to get the cars out first and avoid the traffic jam. Well, you know, we give it to God so the day belongs to him. If it takes a little while to get out of the parking lot, uh, we give that time patiently and generously uh, to God. And this is the kind of spirit we should have on Sunday. If we arrive after the beginning of Mass but before the uncovering of the chalice for the offertory, we should make up for our lateness by attending the next Mass at least up to the uncovering of the chalice. Now that's for those when we had Masses consecutively on the hour in past times. If you came a little bit late, then you would stay for the next Mass up to that point when you arrived and you'd fulfill your whole Mass obligation. But remember the main parts, offertory, consecration, and communion have to be all together in one Mass. If we arrive when the chalice is already uncovered, we must hear another entire Mass. Not only must we be bodily present at Mass, we must also have at least an implicit intention of participating, avoiding deliberate distractions. Deliberate distractions. Distractions will come, and we don't want them necessarily, of course, and so we put up with them, but we try to eliminate them. And that we should not look around, laugh, or carry on conversations. Especially in our little chapel here, we don't have a place to go like a hall, parish hall, to visit and chit-chat and maybe have a cup of coffee and a donut. Uh, we don't want to visit in the chapel unless the climate, uh, weather is bad. And if you do so, then just whisper quietly so that you don't distract those who are trying to say their thanksgiving or to pray further um, while they're here. It is a serious lack of reverence for the word of God to leave the church during the sermon. Now, many times in past times, of course, uh, and maybe even now, uh, men and boys would go outside and have a cigarette or chit-chat while the sermon is going on. And as soon as the father finished, they would come back in <clears throat> to complete their obligation of attending mass. Well, it's an act of irreverence to do so. Um, it's not for the father's benefit. He's saying all these things. It's for your benefit, and you should be present, of course, to, to hear them. Most persons find it easiest to follow the Mass by reading a prayer book. Others use a missal, following the actions of the priest. Remember, you are priests. Not like an ordained priest, but by baptism. You have the particular um, character of baptism that entitles you to sharing in the Mass and to offer the Mass because you are one with Christ in his priesthood. Confirmation deepens this the second sacrament that gives the character and then the third one is the ordination of a priest himself who has the power to change bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ but you can co-offer with a priest who co-offers with Christ and so you see the union that you have in offering your mass prayers because you are offering together with Christ his sacrifice to his father in heaven so the missal is a helpful thing and we're going to study next year when we come to the Mass and the sacraments um, the fuller understanding of these prayers that you find in your missal. 
Others use, uh, others use following the actions of the priest. The, this last is the best way of participating in the holy sacrifice of the Mass to use your missal, for then we can best share in Christ's sacrifice, uniting our intentions to his, offering ourselves with him to the Heavenly Father. Uh, you can also use prayer books. You can use a rosary. Uh, but it's that you are here in spirit offering this holy sacrifice with the priest who says it in Latin for you and with you, uh, with Christ. It is an honor to be permitted to assist in some way at Holy Mass. Today, laymen are allowed to perform services that previously were reserved to those in holy orders. Uh, we had an order called the Acolyte, who was a Mass server. And he was uh, ordained to this as a candidate for the priesthood. Today, we have altar boys, and they take the place of formal <coughs> servers in that they represent the people and they are close to the altar and they are after the priest the next to receive the blessings of the Mass and then they will sing in the choir and then those who attend Mass are in that order of a blessing from the returns of the altar. So such as serving Mass and so on. In many parishes there are altar boy societies. Then all boys sh should try to become members. And we have a small group now who are preparing to be servers and they shall soon be uh, on the altar, having been prepared to learn their Latin and to know how to serve at the altar itself. We should be generous with our offerings for the collection box. Even children should be trained to put in a few cents out of their pocket money. We don't talk too much about this, but you know that I'm still alive and evidently you're helping me enough by your contributions. We must remember our obligation to help support our pastors. I don't get a pension, I don't get a salary, so whatever it is I get is from your generous offerings. Now we come to Lesson 101, Unnecessary Servile Work. Now we know what we must do, then we must learn also what we may not do. What is forbidden by the Third Commandment of God? By the Third Commandment of God, all unnecessary servile work on Sunday is forbidden. Two important words, unnecessary and servile. And what is servile work? Servile work is that which require, requires labor of the body rather than of the mind. Physical work. Heavy work. Servile work is that ordinarily performed by laborers. Work in which the mind has the greater share, such as reading, writing, teaching, drawing, studying, and music practice is not servile and it is not forbidden. So you can you do your income taxes, for example. That's more of the mind and certainly of the body. Servile work performed on Sunday is not considered a grievous sin unless it is continued beyond two hours. This is something most people do not know. Uh, we don't want to encourage that you do up to two hours work, but uh, it would be a venial sin to work up to two hours. Now again, here is the moral theologian setting a definite um, law. And we cannot go beyond that law unless they're excusing circumstances. Now, what are excusing circumstances? We're going to study that also. Or if it becomes a cause of scandal, even though you may have a reason for doing it, but somebody's going to say, well, if he can do it, I can do it, when they have no real reason or cause. So you can be misleading, and therefore you must avoid whatever would lead somebody else into doing something wrong by your actions or a bad example as they see it. 
So you see how important it is that you have reason guided by faith. You don't offend against faith, but you don't offend against reason. And scandal is one of those uh, causes that you have to be also aware of. Even though you may do it normally, if it gives scandal, you may not do it to mislead others and cause them to misjudge. Employers who force their employees to do unnecessary servile work on Sunday are responsible for the violation of this commandment. So authority is responsible for the actions that are carried out by others. Employers should make it possible for employees to comply with their religious duties. And most reasonable people allow that, that they can get to church, not as an excuse to get out of work, but to fulfill their obligation to God. The trial of lawsuits and public buying and selling are forbidden. You don't go out and buy furniture at the local um, furniture mart uh, or go grocery shopping for the week. That's forbidden. Catholics should make provision for Saturday for their food and other necessities of Sunday so that no store may be forced to keep open. Now, when I was a child in Pennsylvania in the 30s, they have what they call blue laws that respected this law of God. You couldn't buy liquor on Sunday. It was sold through state stores, just a limited amount. So it wasn't that you could um, go and buy liquor on Sundays. It was closed by law. And stores, mom and pop grocery stores in the corner, they were all closed. You couldn't uh, even buy milk because there was no store open. So you went to your neighbor or friend to get whatever necessity you had because the law observed the requirement of the third commandment. Today, that's no longer true. The degradation that takes place uh, with the freedoms of men uh, over the, freedom, or the, the requirements of God or the authority of God has taken us away from God. And if you study the Constitution, you'll find that there is no obligation under God. They're only under the laws of men. And so as these laws change, we find they become oppressive because we don't have the safeguards that are built into the Ten Commandments. Again, uh, we see the ch- history changing as time goes on, and the practices that once respected the laws of God are no longer being observed today. As I say, go down to the, uh, the um, malls, and you'll see people working and trading just as much as they do during the rest of the week, maybe more so. The non-observance of Sunday is often attended with material evils, such as poverty and sickness. God is the God of nature as well as of the law. Now, he had a reason for doing this, not only for his worship, but for our own benefit as well. We take time out and use it for spiritual being, uh, spiritual studies and um, development, rather than to work just for material things 100%. Those who do not observe Sunday and keep working often lose their health, and thereby sink deeper and deeper into poverty. The more you work, the less you have. And why is this? God knows why. He doesn't explain and spell it out. He just says, don't do this and you won't have the problems. And if we do it, we will have the problems. Those who desecrate Sunday and do not hear Mass fall into all kinds of vices. In Holy Scripture, we find the Jews losing their holy city and being taken into captivity. That's the Babylonian captivity because they violated the Sabbath. Now, what we read doesn't mean that they did all the things they were supposed to do, and they suffered for their transgressions, particularly of idolatry. 
So it is with us. If we don't keep these laws, eventually the grace of God being withdrawn leaves us to our own devices and our weaknesses and our ignorances and the cause then leads to the development of destruction or um, uh, degradation. So we must keep holy the Lord's day and it will keep us as well. Now, when is servile work allowed on Sunday? Servile work is allowed on Sunday when the honor of God, our own need, or that of a neighbor requires it. The honor of God and needs, whether ourselves or of others, uh, requires it, then we are allowed to do servile work. Now, for example, preparing a place for Holy Mass is a work for the honor of God and may be done even on a Sunday. For example, um, traditional groups sometimes don't have a chapel and they have to rent a hotel or some a hotel and uh, a room here or there and they set up the altar, they put on the candles, all these things that are necessary for Mass and they take it down and store it afterwards, trucks and people working. That's permissible because it is for the honor of God. So we want to have the spirit of understanding what is included in observing the Sabbath. In a parish where the women are all occupied during the week and can meet for their altar society meetings only on Sundays, it would be allowed for them to sew or repair vestments for the church. Again, for the honor of God and the work of the church is permissible to do servile work. Work of daily necessity such as cooking, cleaning, and sweeping, and buying and selling them necessary food may be performed even on Sunday. Necessary. So you don't do your shopping for the week, but just if you need a loaf of bread or a quart of milk, uh, it would be necessary to do this and it would be permitted. Sewing is not per- permitted as it is not of necessity. Unless it's a stitch there because something just ripped and you're on your way. And so they say, well, sew this up real quickly. It's my best suit. And therefore, uh, I can't uh, put on the old clothes or they're not uh, clean. Uh, it'd be permitted to do something to that limited degree. Even servile work, when necessary for one's support, for the common good or, the, or to prevent serious financial loss is permitted on Sunday. So your work demands that you go to the work site. Otherwise, you lose your job and the family would suffer. So the church does permit that um, because it's necessary, not because you want to do it. Farmers are allowed to care for their cattle and domestic animals and even to get in crops that otherwise might spoil. Again, reasoned and guided by faith. Our Lord does not desire man to suffer on account of Sunday, for he says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Servile work needed for or by our neighbor may be performed on Sunday. For example, a farmer who has attended all week his own farm may help a sick neighbor attend to his on Sunday. It's the only day he's got left, and the man can't help himself, so you can do this work of charity. Remember, works of charity take precedence. So if you have a sick uh, mother at home, you take care of her. You're free from attending Mass because she has no one else to take care of her. That's a work of charity. Those in charge of persons who are necessarily uh, on duty on Sunday, such as policemen, foremen, soldiers, and so on, are obliged to give them an opportunity to hear Mass, if not every Sunday, at least as often as possible. So we arrange schedule. You make uh, agreements between yourselves so that it's covered, and yet you can get to Mass uh, in the meantime. Domestic help can easily be permitted to go to Mass if their duties are properly arranged. 
Next question, are amusements forbidden on Sunday? Amusements are not forbidden on Sunday. Only those that interfere with the Sunday obligations are forbidden. So if you're going to go golfing with partners and miss mass, uh, you may not go golfing, but in the afternoon you may go because you've attended mass in the morning. Sunday is a day of rest. On Sunday, therefore, we are permitted to relax from our daily work in wholesome recreation. Now remember the word recreation means recreate, to build up your forces, so to relax and to uh, get some rest so that you can go back to work for the rest of the week and be able, with the energy you then store up on the Sunday recreation, um, for helping yourselves of rest. Not too much emphasis should be given in competitive games as to which side wins or loses. Now, what does it say? Not too much emphasis. We can enjoy a ball game, a football game, a basketball game, all these things. But once you start betting, and once you start getting too overly, now excess begins to show up, and that's never good to be excessive in anything. A good loser is better than a poor winner who is proud of himself. We have our team won, and uh, there's this macho and the millions of dollars involved. It becomes uh, excessive, and that's what's happened to sports. It's no longer fun thing. It's a big, high-powered business. <clears throat> God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he had rested from all his work. Now consider, if God, who needed no rest, chose to stop his work of creation, we should imitate his divine example and rest after six days of our own labor. <clears throat> the experience of all peoples has borne out the wisdom of this practice of resting one day out of the week. As an example, we may cite the case of the French Revolution, 1789 and a few years after that, <clears throat> when these atheists in France wanted to destroy the church, they were going to change everything. As today, for example, they're changing the dating of history, not A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord Christ, but they're saying um, C.E., um, Common Era. And you'll see this more and more in scientific and uh, literary uh, designations of history. Before the common era, before the common era, B.C.E., not B.C., but B.C.E., it's no longer Christian. Before the common era is not before Christ. Uh, C.E., common era, not A.D. anymore. But this is an indication of how they're changing the calendar, the sense of time, as they did in the French Revolution when they had a bloodbath. They were not killing all, not only the king, they beheaded him and his wife, and uh, the nobility, the aristocracy, the rich, wealthy people, they began guillotining each other, common people, who took over because men were going to be equal. No more kings, just democracy, and then the leaders began to fight among themselves and kill each other off. This is what happens when you abandon the laws of God for the rights of men. Well, this is an example. The French atheists in control wish to change the old order completely. We talk about a new world order today. They wanted to change the old order completely. And what did they do? They went so far as to change the number of days in the week to ten. Instead of seven days, they made it ten days. Well, each day follows, and we have a calendar. It's in our mind. But they said, away with all of that. Our week is now going to be ten days. And we're going to change the, the calendar completely. We give different names to the days of the week. 
and simply take away anything that reminded us of the past. They could not, however, retain the new week, for even the work animals, unable to endure work without rest, died of exhaustion. So they found out this is unnatural. And they tried to change it, and they suffered as a result. To attend entertainment such as dances up to a late hour on Saturday night, even when in themselves they are not wrong, is a poor way of preparing for the Lord's Day. So late hours at TV, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and you got to get up for Mass, what condition will you be in? Or drinking late at night uh, in a party and all these things. Uh, those who stay up Saturday, late Saturday night are inclined, inclined to oversleep on Sunday uh, morning. As a result, if they do not omit Mass altogether, they will not hear it devoutly, tired out, distracted, suffering maybe from a headache or whatever. An outstanding example of such entertainments is the New Year's Eve all-night dancing, so fashionable in these days when this book was written. I guess it's still fashionable in some circles, all night and, and all day. People who go to dances and, uh, and carousals in different varieties of dress and undress with paint, powder, and all kinds of world decorations uh, on their persons. Then those that feel a twinge of conscience run out for an intermission of mass to return perhaps to the dance or to go home to sleep all the day of New, Year, uh, New Year's. Well, what's New Year's? It's a secular holiday. It's the feast of the circumcision of our Lord, a holy day of obligation. We don't think in those terms because we've been pulled into the secular, secularization process of democracy. And New Year's is a big high point. What are you going to do on New Year's? Well, what am I going to do on uh, Sunday? I, I go to Mass. It's a holy day of obligation. And if I truly am de de devoted to the liturgical observation of these days, will not think in secular terms and follow the secular practices associated, therefore. Let, us, let any a reasonable man say whether this kind of amusement is in consonance or in, in, in um, relationship to, with the commandment to sanctify the Lord's day. So as I say, we have to redo our education. We have to rethink our priorities and put the emphasis, where emphasis was taken away in the past, the third commandment, to put it back where it belongs again. Sunday is God's day all day. And don't give him just an hour at Mass or an extra prayer or two, but give him the fullness of the Lord's day to keep it holy and we have to work on that Our Lady of La Salette wept that people were not observing the Sabbath day, the Lord's day of course she wept beyond that as you will find the rest of the message that Rome will become the seat of the Antichrist and uh, Rome will lose the faith, we're seeing that foretold long before because people's Abuses led to consequences that took away the grace of God and then the result is tyranny, murder, and destruction. Some people seem to take advan advantage of Sunday to indulge more freely in useless or sinful pastimes. Now we can go out and have a great time. No work. It is a scandal to see people engage in excessive eating, drinking, dancing, and vanity on Sunday of all days. It is an abuse of the sacred institution, the Lord's Day. The kingdom of God does not consist in food and drink, St. Paul says to the Romans who were inclined this way. To many, the Lord's day and holy days are nothing more than days of enjoyment. What was intended as an accompaniment becomes a main thing. We've 
lost the emphasis. Not infrequently, Sunday is taken as a favorite day for gambling, drinking, and other vices. Then indeed is God's day desecrated and God robbed of the honor due him. So there are only three commandments that deal with our relationship with God. And this is one that's not many, only three, but this is included as important to him and should be also to us. When Sunday is desecrated by vice and unrestrained pleasure, we can expect by this loosening of morals the gradual dissolution of family life and ties and the final disintegration of society. That's why we emphasize the family, how important it is to keep it strong. When children run off for sports and father goes off to some other recreation and mother goes off with her friends or whatever, it, there's a pulling away of the family. They don't eat together anymore. And there's no conversation, there's no communication. Neglecting common worship, members of the family become indifferent to each other. Children turn stubborn and disobedient. The father hardly stays home and knows strangers better than his own children. Since the children lose respect for their parents, it is an easy step to loss of respect for all authority, including the secular power. Thus, by forgetting God's day, men live like heathen and will die outside God's grace. Now, it seems a small thing, but it is so very basic and important that we keep the spirit, the idea, and the practice of keeping the Lord's Day holy through the whole day in our own lives. We have been secularized. We have been uh, uh, intoxicated or, or poisoned in our thinking like the rest of people who are pagans or who have no religion at all, that we do what they do because we have lost the emphasis of the third commandment. So let us pull it back. St. Peter was in ecstasy when this vision of the transfiguration of Christ took place. Christ speaking with Moses and Elias. And he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us come together and let us stay together and let us build three tabernacles for your dwelling. One for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. Well, he had been lifted up to such a great degree of um, enthusiasm that he wanted this to last forever. And if we truly worship God, we truly love God with the first commandment and honor him totally, then we want to be here rather than elsewhere in that service of God. And in